Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio. Boy, should I always enjoy having my love for as weird as that makes sound? Of course, it's Adam Mustard. But you can't put that kind of pressure on your team. And they were so sick of hearing Dan, reading Dan Hoffman's quotes, listening to Dan Hoffman's audio. And we've got a job to do. I had to go out there every day and present you know, the material. Just, you can't just cover spring ball without, with, with ignoring everything that has to do with Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio, another week, another episode here, and we are back at the Blake Street Tavern. Always good to be here at Chris Fusilay's joint here in downtown Denver, just a block away from Coorsville. Come on down, check it out. Green chili is amazing. The Southwest Burger is amazing. Adam, you went with the nachos today. They taste too good. You end up eating way more than you anticipated when you ordered it. I, I can't blame it whatsoever. This is... The premier sports bar in Denver. Westward named it the best place to watch games and play games. Down in their underground social. Lots of games to be played. I find myself on the ping pong table quite often. But, and that has never happened. But we can move on today towards more important subjects on Buff Stampede Radio. We're going to be talking football recruiting today. National Signing Day, obviously, just a week ago. Lots of excitement, lots of uh, new buffs joining the fold. And, and McIntyre, of course, addressed the media about those guys last week, and we reported on some of them. We're going to go more in depth today about it, though. And, Adam, Signing Day was a little exciting for you because, as most of you know listening to the show, the rival servers, of course, decided to crash out on us. And... Unfortunately, couldn't provide the same coverage that we do every year, but nonetheless, you found your way. Recap signing day for anybody that maybe was out of town or just you know had their head under a rock last week. Yeah, it's, a, it's an early wake-up call on signing day. Usually about 4.45 I get up on signing day and get to it. This year there, was, there wasn't a ton of drama. Uh, we we kind of had, reading the tea leaves, you kind of knew that Jay McIntyre was going to be a buff, although it didn't become official until signing day. Aside from that, every other guy we expected to sign with Colorado signed with Colorado. Of course, there was the kind of that semi-drama going on with Kalen Balaj on signing day as well. He ends up signing with Arizona State. So it was, I don't want to say it was not a memorable signing day because they all kind of are in their own way, but it wasn't one of those signing days you look back to five years from now and kind of point towards. Unless, hey, unless this is the class that changes things for this program. You don't know that. But in terms of on paper, signing day went uh, pretty much as planned. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the the technical issues with rivals was disappointing. But, you know, you've got to continue to find your way to, uh, to do your job. And, thankfully, through Twitter, was able to kind of keep that going for a while. And then you guys joined me at the press conference, and we, we got it all uh, yeah, reported. And then, uh, you know, afterwards, I, I feel like, I, I feel like given the circumstances, we did a pretty darn good job covering it. Yeah, I, I can't necessarily complain. I, I also had an early wake-up call. Uh, heading out to Jay McIntyre's press conference at Monarch High School in Louisville, Colorado. And, you know, it was an exciting morning. Uh, I, you, I walk in, and, and the ceremony was held in the auditorium at Monarch. And they had a number of student-athletes signing their letters of intent for a variety of sports. They had a couple big-time track stars heading to really great programs, soccer players heading to Florida and other great programs, um, and a couple of football guys heading to Division II schools, and, of course, um, Jay McIntyre picking Colorado. And what was so interesting about McIntyre in that press conference or, or signing day ceremony was that when I walk in, you know, they have a, a little name tag in front of every seat up on the stage where the players will be signing their uh, letters of intent. And under Jay McIntyre, it says University of Wyoming, which confused me because... You know, as you said, reading the tea leaves, it's pretty darn obvious that Jay was going to play for his father in Boulder. And so all of a sudden, I'm looking at that, and I'm texting you, Adam. I was like, are we sure about this? Should I even be here right now? Because <laughs> this thing says Wyoming. And then just a few moments later, Mrs. McIntyre, his mother, walks in and starts decorating his spot with a CU flag, CU pom-poms, a CU hat, a CU sweater. I mean, the whole deal, and it became very obvious. And in talking with Jay just before he went on stage, he said, you know, we weren't really sure if people knew. We didn't want it to become too big of a circus, so we decided we would just wait to announce it until I got on stage. And 
you know, they gave every athlete just a moment to speak about, you know, th- thanking their coaches, their families, their teammates, you know, the whole spiel. And, and Jay actually talked for about a minute and a half. Everybody else was 10, 15 seconds. And one of the things that stands out to me about Jay, and I've known him for ever since Mike McIntyre got in town because I covered him on the summer basketball circuit, he was obviously very appreciative to all those people that everybody else was, but Jay kind of talked about the Colorado community and how it really embraced him when he moved here because, you know, moving anywhere at any age is always tough for a kid. I moved around a ton when I was growing up, and you're always kind of starting over. You're starting fresh. You're trying to find where you fit in in a community, in a school, in a social setting. And doing that your last year of high school has got to be the toughest of all because everybody in, I mean, high school is brutal. You know, the kids are brutal in high school, and everybody's kind of set in their ways at that point. And Jay really talked about the Colorado community, Monarch High School, his teammates, coaches, fans of the university even, really accepting him and making him feel welcome. And it was part of the reason why he decided to come to Colorado and, and attend the university and play for his father. And, you know, without going too much farther into detail, I mean, everybody, I'm, I'm assuming most people saw the story I wrote on him uh, that day. But he insisted he's not going to punt quarterback. He insisted that... When you come into a locker room, no matter who you are, if you want to be respected, people can like you, you know, or people can not like you. you know, teammates aren't always best friends. Sometimes they are. But in order for someone to respect you in the locker room, you have to produce. You have to hold yourself accountable. You have to be accountable. You have to try to your best to fit into the culture and not try to make yourself bigger than the team. And he, I think being a coach's son, he gets that. And he talked about it. And so, you know, that was one of the things that stood out to me regarding that whole situation and his press conference is that he's a kid that gets it. You know, who knows if he'll be accepted by his teammates? He doesn't know. Who knows if he'll produce a CU? But he has a really great perspective on how things work. And that's not necessarily the end-all, be-all in terms of his future success. But it's at least nice to talk to a kid that kind of gets it and uh, has a nice perspective as a young 17, 18-year-old. So, Adam, I have a question for you real quick. When you when you first started to kind of come to grips with the fact that, not come to grips, because that entitles that you have an emotional connection here. I mean, when you learned that Jay was going to be a buff, and Ryan, I'm going to ask you the same thing real quick after Adam. What was your first initial thought? Because obviously we've seen this before. The, the issue there is having to moderate a message board where you know this is going to be a hot-button topic. <laughs> right. You know, If it wasn't for that, from a journalistic standpoint, it's a fun topic to cover, even despite the Cody Hawkins, Dan Hawkins thing, because that turned into a melodrama because yeah. he was the quarterback, as you mentioned. With Jay McIntyre, even if there's controversy, it's still fun to cover that. I should say it is fun to cover it in, in that circumstance. The fact that you have to deal with a message board where people are freaking out and, and you're trying to monitor, are the fans voicing their displeasure for the situation in a healthy way? Or are they crossing right. the line? Right. That's the part of it that, that's not so fun. Ryan, Mike McIntyre addressed it through a number of questions at his press conference. There was no question what the most popular media topic was. Share your thoughts on his responses, not only to that, but in general, some of the things that he had to say about this class at the press conference. Well, first of all, I think my first reaction to the news was was just good, good for Jay McIntyre. I, I, I was kind of, I was almost proud of him for making the decision based off of where he wanted to go to school, not based off of something that happened in a previous coaching regime. I just I, I didn't think that that's a, a healthy thing for you know a kid his age to do. I think he needed to go where he wanted to play football. He wanted to play football for his dad, and I thought that was good for him to follow through on that dream. Um, in terms of the press conference, like you said, it, that was obviously the most uh, popular topic. There might have been seven or eight questions in a row on it. Um, I thought uh, Coach McIntyre handled it <clears throat> as well as you could. Um, he he kind of wanted to make light of it a little bit, talking about, oh, that, that recruit has a really good-looking mother. and he, That, that kind of had a... He likes to real... compliment his wife's looks. He does, place. yes. He does. I, I don't know what to say about that. Um, <laughs> Are you saying Mrs. McIntyre is a looker? Uh, yeah, I think Mrs. McIntyre is a nice-looking lady. 
Well, tell us how you really feel, right? Never mind. You know, really trying, trying to say, <laughs> trying to say, outkicked his coverage football related. And yeah. he admitted it. He said he can recruit. Yep. His first press conference. So that was good. And then uh, hold it together, man. <laughs> hold then, it together. Uh, he 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 talked about you know his biggest advice that he learned from his dad in that situation was shut up, get good grades, and work your ass off. Can I say that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you can say that. We're pushing the boundaries here. (laughs) So I already said Mike McIntyre's wife was hot. I mean, you might as well just throw that out. So I I thought the whole thing kind of came together well. And like I said, I think it was a good good decision for Jay, and I think it's a good decision for their family. And Mike McIntyre also said, you know, now our entire family can enjoy the ride as we bring Colorado back to prominence. Because if Jay McIntyre had gone elsewhere, it might have been. Just Mike of the McIntyre family uh, in Boulder on Saturday, so I think I think they're all excited about it, and it's a, it's a good thing. What would be absolutely hilarious if, is if next press conference, all of a sudden, Coach Mac pulled Ryan aside. And says, what do you think about my wife, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you, uh, real, Will, real quick, you had you had an awesome quote from Jay too in the article about talking about his father's experience. Yeah, playing, yeah, playing for his. Dad. I forgot to mention that it, it was. It was a brief moment. I didn't want to press it too hard with him because he got a little bit emotional talking about it. Mike McIntyre's father, George, who Mike McIntyre is actually named after. Mike Mac- Coach McIntyre's full name is George Michael McIntyre. And his like, father, like George. George Michael from Arrested Development. See, you know, <laughs> we're trying to have a touching moment here. So Mike McIntyre played for his father for two years at Vanderbilt before transferring to Georgia Tech once George resigned from Vanderbilt. And as a lot of people know, Mr. George McIntyre has MS. Uh, He's very, very ill with that. After the Colorado State game last year, Mike McIntyre's first win at Colorado, the sideline postgame reporter asked him about his father, and and McIntyre really, he didn't necessarily hold back his tears. They started to come out a little bit. He just looked at the camera, said, I love you, Dad. You know, I hope you're proud, something like that. And Mike McIntyre told Jay when they, they had a number of discussions in their family living room, and, and Jay said he would just kind of sit him down in the living room and it would get kind of awkward because dad would like be half father, half recruiter in, in a way. And Jay kind of asked his dad what it was like to play for Jay's grandfather. And Mike got very reflective with him and said that looking back, especially now that he's ill, I really, really am glad that I got to spend that time with him. You know, when you're a coach's son, you don't get to see your, your dad a lot. You know, he's coaching, he's recruiting, he's worrying about so many other kids in addition to you that you might not get the same attention that other kids will get. Um, and, and I'm sure that's how it's been for Jay. You know, he said as much. I'm sure that's how it was for Mike when he was growing up. And he really relished the time he got to spend with his father playing for him for those two years, especially now looking back on it. And Jay said that was big for him in that decision-making process. Obviously, you know, we wouldn't want to see Mike, you know, get that kind of illness or anything like that. But I think in general, it's one of those things that as a son, you can look back and really appreciate that time. Tyler. Oh, yeah, Tyler's here. Yeah, Tyler, <laughs> our, our fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin is here as well, and we've gone 13 and a half minutes without hearing him talk, which is 13 and a half minutes of great radio as far as I'm concerned. And It's always good to not hear my voice. Yeah, so, but now, of course, we actually have to go to that portion of the show. And Tyler, you, you are a fan correspondent. The, these are the insights that you bring that I'm sure some people in the world value, certainly not us, but... You were able to attend the recruiting luncheon, and a lot of yeah. people were able to see it on video and whatnot, but I, I don't think you capture the mood of a, a event on video, you know, just as viewing it. You were there. Share some of your impressions from the recruiting luncheon. Yeah, I would say first impressions for me leaving uh, the event was that it was better than I anticipated. Um, I think they did a really good job changing it up from previous regimes. Um, they obviously had Rick George talk a lot about the you know the facilities project and the, they went through the presentation that we've all seen on the message boards at this point you know all the slides all the renderings I mean he was really careful to to mention the fact that they hadn't picked a design team yet and on one of the slides they talked about how that was going to get done this week so we should hear about that in the next couple of days um, so obviously the pictures that we've seen in the past might not necessarily reflect how the project looks but you know it's just kind of their idea of what they're expecting. Um, and so he kind of made a 
comment that was taken a little awkwardly that he was just like, you'll just have to trust us what it's going to look like. And, you know, Obviously, hopefully, before they break ground on this, we're going to see what they're actually going to be building. I mean, people will get to take a look at it like they have these renderings. Um, but yeah, I, interestingly enough, despite it being a huge focus, they didn't do a great job of pushing donations. Uh, typically, this event has um, people at each table that are telling you to you know, write down on the card, and you have corporations, obviously, that buy these tables, and most of the time, they're giving away footballs or helmets or some other CU memorabilia for, obviously, a high price because they want it to be donated um, to help the cause, and they didn't really do that this time, so I thought that was kind of interesting given the, the focus of the presentation. Um, they did a really nice job. They had a long piece with Darian Hagen um, talking about him getting into the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame. Um, it was a really good uh, interview with Mike, or, sorry, Mark Johnson. And, um, and they basically just talked about his relationship with Coach, the original Coach Mick, um, and how he looked at him as a father figure. And um, it was really kind of a touching story. Just kind of talk about how you take a kid from South Central and turn him into a man and um, he, he made a funny comment at some point talking about how they, they promised him facilities upgrades when they were recruiting him in the late 80s. And he's still waiting on him. He's been sitting at Boulder this whole time waiting for him to come back. Uh, that got a good laugh out of the crowd. And he also talked about, um, about his first experience in the huddle, uh, looking around and seeing a bunch of really big white dudes with big beards. And he's just like, man, I'm not in South Central anymore. And uh, Coach Barnett told him that he had to enunciate in the huddle so people could understand what he was saying and got so frustrated that he backed out of the huddle and said he wouldn't do it. And so Coach Mack told him that he would call the plays, and he said that lasted for a full week until he got comfortable enough to do it, apparently. So that was, that was kind of an interesting story that you don't see before. And he also talked about how he loves Boulder, but that his, his family still won't come visit. He said Boulder's Mars to his family from uh, California. So he had a couple pretty hilarious comments as far as that. Um, Another interesting piece that I hadn't seen before is that he had each individual assistant coach come up, introduce themselves, and kind of tell a quick story about a couple of the recruits. Um, a couple of the highlighted ones, they talked about Grant Watanabe um, playing the, his state championship game on a broken foot, uh, that kind of pr pretty good reaction from the crowd. Um, and Josh Kaiser, you, they didn't, it wasn't always the guys that you would think the most. They talked about Josh Kaiser going to see a couple other kids on the team. That ended last that when they were at San Jose State ended up committing to Cal and I think UCLA was what he said the two bookend tackles, and the coach out there Bob Johnson said that you know you look out for this kid Josh Kaiser do you know anything about him he was younger and he's like no which kid and he pointed at some skinny 220 pound kid and he said he's going to be better than all of them and then he just kind of ended real quick saying he's going to be and we have him on our team now so there's a couple of unique stories as far as that goes um, I thought the. The one thing that's nice about the, the presentation of it is you get kind of some of the video clips that you haven't seen um, in, in various huddle highlights and even on rivals, some of the stuff that's more updated. And they ended the presentation with Shea Fields, obviously being the, the focal point of the recruiting class. And he had a couple plays on there at the end that I hadn't seen yet that really showed a burst. And obviously we knew he was athletic and quick before, but he had a burst a totally different level burst on a couple of these plays at the end that really made that, that by far the biggest reaction from the crowd. Um, so that was pretty good to see him. He, it was interesting, he made a comment about Evan White that said uh, if, if Coach Clark can't, can't um, teach Evan White to be a good player, then he can't coach, period. So uh, Coach McIntyre was really, yeah, was really high on Evan White. He also, he also said that if he lived in Tuscaloosa, he would have 120 out of 120 Division One A offers. Wow. So, he, so he, for whatever reason, wow. is extremely high on Evan White. You could, yeah, he was, he was beaming about a couple of the guys, Michael Matthews and uh, Jace Frank too, were uh, a couple other guys that he really had a lot of um, uh, a lot of focus on during the during the whole presentation while he was up there. Um, and the one thing that I also noticed that he, he focused a lot on the academics. A lot of he mentioned a lot of the time that a lot of these kids had really good grades and um, you know came from good situations. And the one thing that I noticed that he didn't particularly key on is a lot of these guys come from really good programs. Um, yeah. You know, guys who had, every single year these guys had, these programs have six or seven D1 kids, um, and so they're trying to build that pipeline and find kids who know how to win. So those are the, the main things that I took out of it. He, he talked about that also in his press conference yeah. and kind of talked about how those, those those programs are almost run like a college program, and it's it's valuable for them to get players out of there. They're used to you know the heavy workouts and the off season right. and all of that stuff, and, and of course they they uh, they know how to win. So he he, did, he definitely touched on that. Uh, yeah, I've noticed that there's a program in, in California. Everybody knows De La Salle football, right? Um, and their football program is certainly run like a college program. Their basketball program doesn't get the same kind of talent, 
their football program does, but they're equally successful. And, and one of the things, they're a legendary coach, Frank Alaco. He, he's coaching the McDonald's All-American game for the third time this year. Him and I used to talk in, when I was coaching out there, and he used to say, you know, there's a reason why De La Salle kids don't flop in college because they already know what it's like to be in a college program. You heard Mike McIntyre uh, just a couple weeks ago talk about one of the players that left the team because he wasn't ready for the kind of time commitment that it took to be in college, to be in a college sport. At De La Salle for basketball, you show up at 5.30 a.m., you have weights and shooting from 5.30 until the first bell at 8. After school, you have study hall for an hour and a half after school, you eat team dinner, you weight lift, you practice, you shoot again, and you leave at 10 p.m. every day. That's your life if you want to play in that program. And so I think a lot of people might think, oh, well, you're coming from a good program, you know how to win. That's important. But I think it's even more so the off-the-court, off-the-field stuff that makes those players so well-prepared for college. A guy like Nate Bonsu came from a really big-time football school in Texas. Nate Bonsu has had some rough patches of his career. He's dealt with some adversity, all that. But there's a reason why you haven't heard a whole lot about Nate Bonsu getting in trouble off the field. He keeps up with things. Now, he struggled with his weight at times, and I think that's as much... More so about his just biology than some other people. But Nate Bunzer is a guy who you can bring into your program and you can just kind of count on him for a lot of times. Uh, so I, I look at I look at some of the guys that Colorado has brought in in this class as that. And so looking at the class as a whole, guys, what are our impressions? You know, this is not a class that is going to be ranked to the top 25 on Rivals.com. It isn't. And McIntyre even addressed that in his press conference. Would you? A lot of coaches dodge questions about stars. They flat out dog us and what yeah. we try to do most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, and so I thought it was really interesting that he said, "Do we want higher ranked classes?" Yeah. And this is a class that will get us there. And so Adam, we'll start with you. Your general impressions of the Buffalo's 2014 recruit. Well, it goes right to your point. They weren't going to get a top 25 recruiting class, and if you expected them to, you were going to be let down. I've said this a few times, half-jokingly, but short of Nick Saban coming to Boulder, blue-chip recruits are not going to be knocking down the door to come play for the Buffaloes right now. So I think what you take from this class is the fact that they found a few guys, and actually quite a few guys, that are a couple inches short of having the big-time offers. There may be a tenth of a second short on on the 40-yard dash to have those big-time offers. But they're guys that this coaching staff, by and large, has seen in person, which is kind of their big M.O. with recruiting. And uh, the big difference I see with this recruiting class and the way this coaching staff recruits, as you compare it to John Embry and uh, Dan Hawkins, is they see so many more kids in person throughout the month of June. And that's where they found some of these guys that really blew up as seniors. You, you look at a guy like Elijah Rodriguez, who ends up signing with Texas. You look at a Jamon Dodson, who ends up signing with Washington. They, they had a, guy, a lot of guys that later on all of a sudden became blue chip recruits. And they held on to most of them, aside from those two guys. Um, so I think there are some positives to look now. I, I look at this as the class that helps Colorado get to six wins you got to get to that point. Then you try to go, okay, we can get to the next level. They're not competing against Arizona and Arizona State, which is the most alarming part of their recruiting right now because those are the, the schools that are going to potentially be kind of in that next tier. You're, you're never going to beat UCLA and USC for recruits in Southern California. On a consistent basis. No, it's not going to happen. So what you need to do is get to six wins, and then you got to start competing against the Arizona schools, yeah. I think, is, is the next step. So you're saying these chickens can produce eggs. Oh, run with that. Run with that now. <laughs> well, if you read my piece from signing day, talked about kind of how college football is a chicken and an egg thing. you got to get the wins first or you got to get the recruits first, and they both correlate with each other. What I basically said, and I think Adam agrees with Mike McIntyre on this, was McIntyre thinks that these chickens can produce the eggs, and once that happens, that's how you get the ball rolling. So... And I actually agree. I think I think this class is almost, you know, they almost outkick their coverage just a little bit, just enough, where they can produce wins with this class. Yeah, I, I look at guys like Shea Fields, uh, Donovan Lee, a, a guy like Lee Walker, Isaac Miller, Miller, pardon me. You know, those are the kind of guys that I think in order to, you know, this team won four games this year, and 
really the biggest influence on those four games was who? It was Paul Richardson. It was the fact that you had finally a wide receiver that could make an X-factor play. Adam, early in the season, you and I were sitting sideline when Paul Richardson ripped off his last touchdown run against Colorado State. And you looked at me and you said, that's the difference between Colorado and Colorado State. Is no matter how bad Colorado is, they'll have that one guy that can tear a team like this apart. And the reality is, is when Paul Richardson was out the last few years or, or injured or whatever it was, Colorado didn't have that one guy. A guy like Shea Fields is not going to be the player that Paul Richardson was, in my opinion. Paul Richardson is a real big-time NFL talent. But you have guys in this class who can be those kind of guys that will get you those out-of-conference wins that can set you up to beat a Washington State, that can set you up to beat an Arizona or an Oregon State. You know, as you said, they're not going to be out recruiting USC, UCLA, and, and some of those schools. And Arizona State right now is obviously really hot with their season and the way they've been recruiting. And, and so if you it doesn't, can, it doesn't take much to get to that point. Right. It's not like Arizona State's won exactly. any championships. Exactly. Know? And so if you can start collecting a few guys in each class that could be true difference makers, and then you and then for where the program is right now, you stock up on other guys that will be reliable second, third year, fourth year starters. That's how you get to six wins. That's how then you convince a Daryl Scott type recruit, not uh, you know, not the, not the college player Daryl Scott, but the recruit. That's how you start to re- sell those big name guys on. Hey. You're the one missing piece. We have reliable guys around you. We've gotten to six wins. Last year, we even overachieved got to seven. Imagine what we'll be able to do with you. Then you, you know, you do that with a quarterback. And then you go to a wide receiver, like, we're, we're missing one wide receiver. Then you go to an offensive lineman, we're missing one left tackle, one defensive end. That's how you can sell it. And then eventually you start just saying, we're going to stockpile top 250 players at every position. That's down the line. But eventually... You have to realize, as a fan, as a media member, as an analyst, that it starts here. It starts with, obviously, getting these guys in, developing them, which is really important. And then you can start going after bigger fish. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that you the benefit of the recruiting luncheon is that you get to see all these guys in a row on film. And uh, you can see that he succeeded in bringing in athletes at every position, not even just the outside <laughs> skill guys. And they got big frames. They can play multiple positions. You know, you look at a guy like Aiden Jones, who they're not really sure where he's going to play right now. He could fill out and be an offensive lineman. He could be at tight end. And I think they did a good job of finding guys that are league-specific. You talked about this a couple times in the presentation as well. Um, sometimes it's a little bit tougher, obviously, because you're comparing a player to a player. But some guys fit better in the Pac-12 than they do in yeah, SEC. absolutely. And I think and I, he keyed on that a couple times when he was talking about specific players. You know, this guy with... You know, people play spread offenses. You know, we're going to have – we need to be able to defend in a way that the – you know, this is how the Pac-12 plays. We need to find a guy that fits into that mold. We need to key on several different players that fit into those molds. It kind of reminds me – this is kind of a crossover. Um, Tad Boyle does a great job of recruiting guys who are missed by the recruiting services because they don't have a position. You know, they can't say, oh, I don't know how this person's going to translate that small forward. It's the same thing with football players. He takes guys that he thinks are, he knows are big athletes. They can put them on multiple positions of the field, and you just kind of see how they grow. You know, these are young kids. You don't know where they're going to go. He does a really nice job of falling the, you know, getting those guys that fall through the cracks where people aren't 100% sure where they're going to end up. And he takes risks on those guys, and a couple of them are not, you know, they're going to pan out. You're going to find a guy that can help your program. Yeah, one other ingredient I think we need to include in this is the fact of all the background that this staff, the oh, staff does on these guys before they even really offer a scholarship. That's all based on trying to avoid attrition down the road. You do the background on these kids before they get on campus, and then you find out if they have an issue. Um, so we'll, the, the proof is in the pudding. We'll see if that actually holds true once these. Yeah. And I think this staff realizes they're, they're young kids. They're going to get into a little bit of trouble, but... If any red flags come up, as Mike McIntyre said during his press conference, he's told his coaches to run the other direction. Yeah, yeah, guys, we're gonna go not quite rapid fire, but let's let's kind of let's really get some momentum here on this show, guys. Let's build it up. Let's get the crowd into it. Here we go. Favorite recruit in this class, 
Adam, we're going to start with you. Let's and start with me last because I want to fill in the gaps. I want to hear what Ryan and Tyler Ooh. have to say first. All right, uh, I think mine. He, he wants to be. He wants to. I don't, don't want to start game. off with Shea Fields and then. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not starting with Shea Fields. Uh, I think this is uh, maybe not as a sleeper, but a, a little lower down on some people's list. I, I love Donovan Lee. Um, I think that <coughs> he just has that electricity that you know that this program hasn't really had, and I think he's just one of those guys that just goes out there and just <coughs> makes plays on the football field. You know, he can return kicks for them. He can return punts for them. He can get in the slot. He can come out of the backfield. One of those guys who's just going to, you know, you're going to see him put some moves out there on the field that just leave some defenders stuck in cement. on the. And I think that's one of those things that, especially in the Pac-12, you talked about recruiting to the league. I think you've you got to have one of, those guys, one of those guys in this league. So, for me, I could watch Donovan Lee's film all day. Yeah, my answer was kind of where Adam was going. The answer is, to me, is Shea Fields, and it's pretty simple why. He, he replaces the biggest hole left this year. Um, you, a lot, there was a lot of question marks going in about well, who was going to replace Paul Richardson in this offense. And um, I think Shea can be that guy, especially in a couple years. To me, um, it also you know, it signals to bl- more blue-chip level recruits in California that, it, that ca- Colorado is a place to come. And that's, yeah. that's the first step you have to take. You know, there, someone's going to say, oh, Shea Fields went to Colorado. Maybe I should look at Colorado. He's, he's that level player in California that we haven't been able to get before that I think will maybe turn some heads in the California area and get us some better looks from prospects as we move forward. My favorite recruit in this class is one of the earliest, and it is Isaac Miller. Isaac Miller right now is not college ready. I, you know, I don't think anybody inside the program is going to tell you that he's college ready. His high school coach ain't going to tell you that he's college ready. He is a little bit thin. He's a little bit light for an offensive lineman. But he's got the size, he's got the frame, he's got the athleticism. He comes from a really, really well-coached high school program. Granted, they don't play big-time 5A competition or anything like that. I get it. You know, they play Skyline High School, Longmont High School, and Nywet High School. I, you know, they're not playing Cherry Creek. I get it. You know, but Isaac Miller, to me, screams, screams Nate Soldier. He's not quite the athlete. I, people don't realize how athletic Nate Soldier was. Nate Soldier was an all-Colorado basketball player. He played quarterback. Not be, right, and not because he was just tall in a center. He was all-state basketball because he could move. He played on the top Colorado Chaos AAU club. I mean, this guy was an athlete. Isaac Miller, for the offensive line position, I think he's going to be one of those guys who never gets all big and fat or anything like that. He's going to be one of those cut, athletic, pulling offensive linemen that can set the foundation of this line for the next five years. I, I really love Isaac Miller. I think he – I'm not an offensive line guru or anything like that. He's a guy who I look at based on my limited amount of knowledge on, on offensive line and say, gosh, I, something about this kid just screams he's going to be a future all-pack 12 player. Yeah, I, I'd like all of your picks. And I'm, the guy I'm going to throw out there is Dylan Keeney. I think he, if he had played tight end his junior year and had the film he had as a senior out there as a junior, he would have been a blue chip recruit and everybody would, would have been recruiting this kid. The one issue is he's going to have to put on weight just like your, your pick, Isaac Miller. He's about 6'6", 215 right now. So obviously he's going to be kind of that tight end you split out right now. But I think he's the type of tight end that this program has been yearning for for a while. They had it in a, a brief instant with, with Nick Casa, but it was so fleeting that it was really hard to appreciate it. I think with Dylan Keeney, he comes into the program, plays and, and evolves into eventually as an upperclassman that one of the one of the top tight ends in the Pac-12. Well, and now we've got obviously our top favorite recruit in this class. I think it's time to look at the guys that we feel might be most underrated in this class and obviously you you mentioned a guy like Dylan Keeney who maybe in this class isn't as underrated just because you know, well, the crazy a, thing is is uh, for my post signing day awards I, he was actually my most underrated because he was a 5-5 RR which is a low for rivals three yeah, star yeah. without question on this class I think people are pretty darn excited yeah, about yeah. him uh, for my most underrated obviously you look around and there's a couple names that catch your eye I really, 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 really like Grant Watanabe, or Watanabe. Watanabe, yeah. At least I didn't say wannabe. I think somebody said wannabe the other day. I, I like him, but my pick for most underrated, I'm going to go Jay McIntyre. 
I think, I think I just stole, stole my thunder. And this is why I wanted to go and first. And the Buff Stampede message board is buzzing right now. <laughs> because, look, look, I mean, honestly, I think people look at Jay McIntyre and they see a coach's son. I get it. There's history here. Let's move on. What you need to look at Jay McIntyre and see is versatility. Uh, because he's a guy who can play multiple positions, not quarterback. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's an athlete. People don't realize this. I watched him play with the Colorado Chaos Basketball Club this summer in Las Vegas. The top tournament in the country at any time is this tournament. And Colorado Chaos gets into the top divisions in every tournament. They're in the invitational bracket. So they're playing against big-time competition, big-time athletes. Yes, being an athlete on a football player is different than the basketball court. I understand that. But he is strong. He was incredibly laterally quick. I mean, he was locking down four-star point guards. Four-star point guards. He locked them down for five-minute stretches at a time. Jay McIntyre is an athlete. He's smart enough to find a place on this football team. And he may, I don't, I don't look at him as an all-conference guy. He will be a solid contributor on this team. And everybody's underrating him because they, they think the only reason he got a scally is because he's the coach's son, and it's not true. Yep, I, I agree. Uh, since you stole my thunder on my sleeper pick, I'm going to go even sleepier. My <laughs> wow. pick, my most sleepier? My most underrated go drowsy recruit. drowsy with it? My most underrated recruit is Wyatt Smith, and I'm not making a joke here. <laughs> I spoke to Dara O'Neill, who has been taking snaps from Wyatt since he got on campus. Wait, you're actually thinking Yeah, this no, this joke. is real, this is real. <laughs> Dara and, and Dara showed me his hands right after um, a, a session with, with Wyatt snapping. His hands were bright red. He, just, he said, this kid fires the ball back at 100 miles per hour, and I'm not kidding. For those special teams guys, that is huge. I mean, that's going to give Dara O'Neill that much more time back there to get his punts off. So, Wyatt He picked Smith, a long snapper. Not even rated. A that's why he's snapper. underrated. He's not even listed in his position on the he's, Rivals database because there is no position yep. for long snapper. Doesn't get more underrated than that. <laughs> I, I wanted to go back to Jay real quick and just no one mentioned the fact that you look at his tape and the one thing that stands out is he can play special teams. Yeah. And you've awesome. got you to gotta get guys in these classes that can help you on special teams. There's, there's all, that's the one thing you watch us play the last five years. And it's always, the special teams is always just like it makes you want to tear every hair you have on your body out of you know what I mean every hair uh, yeah every one all of them out dude and every he can one. help he can help yeah all of them he can help there so I just wanted to point that out too all right, the most one, underrated the most underrated for me I he already talked about or Adam already talked about him was Dylan Keeney for me and it wasn't because how people are excited about him from the class but just from a rivals perspective I think you keyed on it too. He only played the position for one year, but you look at him on film, and he creates matchup problems immediately. Yes, he needs to gain weight. Yes, he needs to learn the position a little bit more. But he's going to be a tough guard for linebackers immediately in the Pac-12. I think I think he's going to be the, the kind of guy that you know is he gives us another weapon that we haven't had from the tight end position receiving wise in a long time. My most underrated is Lee Walker. I think because initially, when as soon as Sheffield's committed. He was the wide receiver that everybody looked to that was going to replace Paul Richardson. Well, Lee Walker's on campus. He was a three-star recruit coming out of high school, didn't qualify. Had he qualified, if he had great academics and he didn't commit to Arizona really early on, he would have been a heavily recruited kid coming out of San Diego, played in a state championship game, put up stats. Um, and he's got a lot of the same attributes that Shea Fields has and is a little bit bigger coming in, and he's on campus for spring ball. So you kind of give him a little right. bit of a head start over those other guys. And I think he, uh, uh, being a 4-4 guy at receiver, will help fill the gap of, of Paul Richardson going to the NFL. It's not going to be just Shea Fields that's going to do that. Yeah. I think uh, Lee Walker is going to be a big key for them. Adam, it is time to recap your signing day picks. Uh, and then, of course, real quick, you're going to run it by us and see if we would have picked anybody else. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite features to do every year after signing day in I enjoy kind of looking back and uh, seeing where I was right, where I was wrong. And last year I was pretty strong, so I'm due for a, due for a down year this year. So. <laughs> it's pretty strong. Just reminding the world. Anyways, top <laughs> offensive signee was wide receiver Shea Fields with the runner-up quarterback Kate Epps. Anybody have any issues with that? Um, I, would, I would say no. 
I have Cade a bit lower, but it's yeah. It's I wouldn't have him as my runner-up, but yeah, I, I have him. I have him towards the bottom of the list, and it's only because I, I'm not sure he's going to be able to contribute as quickly as some of the other guys. Okay. Top defensive signing I had defensive end Michael Matthews with runner-up Grant Watanabe. Ooh, I'd flip him, but I agree with the two picks. I had Matthews and Eddie Lopez in order. So I would I would go Evan White. Up there at second. Okay. I think I'd, I'd love Evan White. I yeah. mean, I love his body. Okay. <laughs> I, have him, I have him at six right after those threes or two. So. All right, most underrated, uh, Dylan Keeney. We, we just all went through this. Runner-up, Josh Kaiser, who was the lowest-rated guy this class. Offensive lineman, Dolly, you mentioned him a little bit earlier. Just a late bloomer, a guy that's going to have to develop a little bit uh, but has some potential. Top athlete, I had Lee Walker. And runner-up, Donovan Lee, I think – Athlete, and I have another category, which is most versatile. They're kind of interchangeable. Any, any, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't disagree with that at okay. all. Yeah, those are both. I mean, yeah, as good a pick as any. Most ready to make an in, instant impact. I initially was going to do Wyatt Smith, but I felt like that was almost cheating to say that. Because yep, cheating. He's going to be your, your starting long snapper. not fun snapper. to talk about on radio. <laughs> so I, I went with defensive back Akella Witherspoon with, with uh, runner-up Evan White. That body that you, you like there, Will. Oh, that body. Woo! <laughs> Please stop. So most, <laughs> <laughs> the category is most ready to contribute? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pull a fast one here. I'm going to go Sam Benyon because by the time he steps on that, campus. That's, that's cheating. cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and not fun to talk about on radio. And he's not going to play football for two years, so I'm not sure that's even true. Yeah, but he's going to be a 24-year-old man. Yeah, but if he has to play football in two years. Whatever, bro. Come on, man. You've taken time off of basketball. You know what it's like. You come back that's, and you're just like, ooh, that's feeling true. rusty. All right, most versatile defensive back, Donovan Lee. I should say athlete. You could end up on offense as well. Runner-up, Jay McIntyre. Uh, I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Most personable, this kid, Christian Shaver, a kid coming in from Utah, who uh, I liked his honesty when I interviewed him. He admitted that Utah got really shady with his recruitment and kind of filled me in in the different ways that his recruitment uh, kind of took a different course. And the fact that coming from Sandy, Utah, he wanted to go to the Utes eventually, uh, initially, but then the fact that they just weren't honest with him. A lot of kids will not tell you the truth, and I kind of appreciated that from him. Uh, Runner-up was Taryn Hasselback, a really personable kid from Regis Jesuit, uh, coming in from with uh, great bloodlines, obviously Harold Hasselback, his father. The biggest surprise for me was Jay McIntyre, only by default because he was the last guy to announce uh, really no surprise there, but just for this category, he filled in. And then runner-up was Sully Weefels, who was another late addition, flipped from Colorado State the week of signing day. Was, was that gonna, best name also? I would have gone most personable. I, I agree on Hasselbeck. I, Jay McIntyre, to me, is crazy personable and honest. I, I've talked to him a number of times, but mostly actually for basketball stuff. But he, he used to just be like, look, I, I'm, a point, I'm a white point guard recruit who can't dunk, my ball handling isn't that nice, I just play harder than most people. I mean, I, he's like, I don't really know how to describe it. Like, the teams recruiting me are like, what do you feel like you need to work on? And he told me, he looks at me, he's like, he shook his head, he's like, everything. He's like, I'm not that that good at basketball. I just play really hard, and for some reason I end up doing better than most people. He's like, I don't know why people can't really play hard. It seems like they don't know how to or something. Jay, Jay is one of the more personal kids. I haven't talked to as many of them as you have. Yeah. All right, well, I think we're going to get into ranking our top ten uh, it signings. It is time. It is time. So uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and start out. I'm going to uh, start Ryan out. looks ready. I just want you to know. Ryan okay. looks really ready and composed and prepared. <laughs> we're we're, we're basing this on college potential, obviously. We're not yeah. looking at high school stats and, and picking our list from that. So uh, number ten on my list of, of top signings for Colorado this, recruiting, this past recruiting cycle now. Uh, number ten, Eddie Lopez, defensive tackle from the El Paso area. I think he, once he trims back down 10 pounds, uh, will be back to the explosive guy as a junior, but he'll have some extra weight. Kind of in between where he was as a junior in terms of his explosiveness, his size, and his senior year, I think he'll be a a really good player. He's a true defensive tackle. Those are hard to come by in in college football recruiting. Maybe the hardest position to recruit, honestly. Number nine is Akella Witherspoon, who I mentioned as a guy I think they can step in and play immediately. A guy that grew from 5'8 to 6'2 and a half between his senior year of high school to his freshman year of college and is on campus for spring ball. Number eight, Kate Apsay, the quarterback. A guy that will bring a different athleticism dimension 
be, be having the ability, the experience of doing the zone read option out of the pistol to compete with Cepho. Maybe not this year, but I think within the next few years we'll, we'll be in the mix there at quarterback. Number seven, Isaac Miller, a guy that uh, was 250 and actually had mono, lost a little bit of weight. So he's going to have to come in, redshirt. But he's got the frame to do it. I think he's going to be your starting left tackle maybe in two, three years for Colorado. Number six, Granton Watanabe, a guy that was uh, the defensive player of the year in San Antonio as a junior. Struggled with some injuries as a senior. We saw the, the grit and determination, the heart he has playing with a broken foot in that state championship, being the defensive player of the game. Uh, number five, Lee Walker, who I talked about, a guy that is overshadowed by Shea Field signing, but will be a big-time contributor at receiver on campus already. Number four, Donovan Lee, could be a De'Anthony Thomas type on offense, could be a starting cornerback, punt returner, kick returner, really a versatile guy, a guy that, that's uh, got that playmaker aspect that they, you know, they don't have a ton of those guys, and they haven't in their program in recent years. Number three, Michael Matthews, defensive end from Mission Viejo. I, I am as high on him, I think, as anybody. We, uh, Ryan and I did these commit spotlight video features, and I watched a ton of film on all these guys, and he, I was the most surprised by him. I went into that looking at his video going, okay, I think he's going to be pretty nice. He led his league in sacks. And I, the more I saw of him, I said, this is a starting defensive end right off the bat, and he'll grow into a defensive tackle and be a, a guy that can provide a rush in the middle of your uh, – on the interior of your defensive line. Number two, Dylan Keeney, who I already talked about. Number one, Shea Fields, who I would hope Colorado fans are pretty well versed on at this point. Wow. it's a pretty good list. Um for me, my number one is going to be a little bit different than yours, actually. I, I think Shea Fields is great. He's a big-time player, obviously a four-star recruit coming out of Southern California. But I look at Donovan Lee as my number one guy in this class because of his versatility. Uh, he can play b- both uh, on offense and defense. So that's why I got him at number one. My number two, Shea Fields. I mean, what else could you say about the guy? He's kind of got everything that you're looking for in this class. Uh, then a guy like Michael Matthews, I agree. I think he is a guy who's going to have a great career in Colorado because of, you know, it, especially when you find guys on the defensive end or defensive line that you just, you get a feeling about that are going to be impact players right away, those kind of guys can grow. They, they can, you know, if you move them inside, they can be disruptive in there. Obviously, they, they have a kind of the awareness of a defensive end. It's a little bit more mental playing defensive end than defensive tackle. I, I, I played both. So I think that, you know, obviously his mental side as well as physical attributes will be really helpful for him. So those are my top three. At number four, the, this one was kind of tough. I'm going to take your word on Dylan Keeney. Uh, it, smaller tight, tight ends that need to put on weight, serious weight at the college level, always make me nervous. Because, you know, I, I look at a guy like Jared Darden a couple of years ago. You know, he was not very good, but he, he was athletic. And you looked at him as a frame of a guy that could grow into a tight end. Obviously, Keeney is more of a tight end than him. But I, I'm always nervous about guys at the tight end position that need to put on a lot of weight. But I'm going to trust you, Adam, okay. on this. I'm going to take your word for it and have him as my number four player in this class. My number five player is Isaac Miller. I'm incredibly high on this kid. He's my favorite guy in the class. I think he's got an incredibly bright future at Colorado. Number six, I'm going to go ahead and put Evan White because I love his body. Ryan, his body's fantastic. Um, and obviously he's a guy that we're going to find out pretty darn quick. It, you know, if he Not necessarily if he has what it takes to succeed at this level, but he's going to get some playing time right away. So I look at him. Number seven, Akello Witherspoon. I love big corners. Big corners like Jimmy Smith just cause havoc in the run game. They can body you off the line as a wide receiver. I, I, he, he is one of my favorite guys in this class. That's number seven. Number eight, Grant Wantanabe. I said it right. No, Wantanabe. Oh, I said Wantanabe. <laughs> like Guantanamo. <laughs> Wantanabe. Jordan Gatterke. Gatterke. Linebackers that are everywhere. That are, in my opinion, size of linebackers is so overrated. Inside, inside, I agree 100%. You know, it's like, for me, a guy like Grant can just make plays in college. No, I, I don't worry about size too much. Obviously, when you have size, it, you know, sure it helps, but especially in the Pac 12, I don't look at that as that big of a deal. So that's my number eight guy. Um, right? I 
believe so. Yeah, that's my number eight guy. Number nine, I'm going to go Cade Apsay. Uh, you got to have a gunslinger at quarterback to look, succeed in college football these days. He can be that guy. I don't know if he will be that guy, but I look at him. And number 10 was obviously a little bit tough for me because you have a lot of guys that, I don't know, are similarly rated, have similar offer sheets. But I'm going to go ahead and give the nod to Jay McIntyre just because I want to cause havoc on the Bell Stampede message boards. <laughs> So Jay McIntyre is my number ten. You just like you just read off my sheet. <laughs> I, I can't sure. even see your computer screen, guy. Alright, well I'll just lay out some questions. When did you make your top ten list? Um Yeah. So when did you make your top ten list? When you were just <laughs> looking at it on your screen. <laughs> we'll just have the list in front of all right, him of all the commits just naming off random ones. Um, real quick, I got Donovan Lee number one. Wyatt Smith. No, I'm just kidding. He's not on there. Um Jay McIntyre at number ten. Uh, in between Isaac Miller at number three, and I have Isaiah Witherspoon at number six. Random way to list I just, I, I'm not listing my whole thing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> that that was just taking too much time. Ryan doesn't yeah. know what he's doing today. He's <laughs> yeah, listing long To be stuffers. honest, at this point, we've talked about <laughs> yeah, exactly. everybody on my list. I'll just run down the names real quick. I had I had Fields, Lee, Keeney, one through three, like a lot of you guys had. I have Matthews at four, Eddie Lopez at five, and then I have Evan White, Isaac Miller, and I had Lee Walker. I'm not sure. If, I think you were the only other person who had Lee Walker. Right? Yeah, it's a weird deal. He's an early enrollee. Yeah, so he's I didn't know. He's considered a transfer by rivals rules, yeah. but I see him as a... Yeah. As a guy that signed because he never stepped foot on a campus. Yeah, I put, I put him on there too because I mean, once you get outside of that, I'm done. That's oh, it. <laughs> we went through it all. Oh, I thought you were still going. All right. <laughs> wow, that kind of throws a wrench in things. I wasn't prepared for that whatsoever. I thought you were going to keep going. That's okay. uh, I went through the Adam. End. The 2014 class is signed, sealed, and will be delivered in the off season. Like that. Um, so, no. jumping into Ryan is in hater mode today. <laughs> jumping into 2015 uh, mode and the 2015 recruiting class. Obviously, many fans would like to see the Buffs take a step up in their recruiting efforts. Hopefully, by uh, behind the back of some wins this year. What are their needs? And uh, give us another more in-depth look at the 15 class. You look at the roster right now: three quarterbacks, and if Jaleel Weenie, who told me he's transferring does indeed play quarterback, you're still going to need to get a really good quarterback this class, and I think it helps that you don't have a ton of bodies at that position right now, so that's a need, obviously. Safety and defensive tackle are a couple of needs this recruiting cycle coming up for the class of 2015, because you look at the the pipeline that we put up on buffstampede.com, they only have two underclassmen, scholarship underclassmen at each position, so you don't want to have these huge gaps in the in the pipeline that, honestly, with attrition, this this program has has struggled with in recent years. And then, depending whether Diego Gonzalez ends up being their future punter or kicker, whichever he's not going to be, you're going to have to fill in that other gap there. So those are a couple of, of, of the top needs. And then I think running back, you want to take a running back every year. And the, the fact that Jamon Dodson switched to Washington and you didn't sign the one this year, unless. Donovan Lee plays that role, you're going to want to pull, pull in a, a pretty good running back this year as well. Well, it, I think a big thing on 2015 for me is, do you expect them to make a jump they, in recruiting rankings? They, to say Obviously, the staff is going to evaluate things on their own and whatnot, but from our perspective, if Colorado goes out and wins, say they win four games again. They won four games this year. I'm not crazy. Okay. Uh, say they win four games. Will they improve their recruiting rankings at least? On paper, will that class be stronger? Well, a lot of it comes down to early recruiting nowadays, honestly. And I think the fact that they were out on the recruiting trail and almost had their class of 2014 class filled up for a while allowed them to look at 2015 kids a lot earlier than they did this past cycle. Whereas last year, they were just trying to finish out their class of 2013, their transition class. They were kind of up against it as far as that goes. This year... They had their 2014 class, and they were able to stop by high schools and spend more time looking at film of juniors. Um, and I think that will help them. I think the expectations need to go up a little bit, right. even before we even see what happens on the field. And then if they show more improvements, then obviously you see it every year too. Late in the recruiting process, the coaching changes. Let's say Colorado wins six games theoretically next year, and there's a, some coaching changes out there. Then you go poach some of those kids. And right. at that point, then you start to take that next step up. Now, 
They have one uh, 2015 commit right now. Talk about it. NJ follow a defensive and slash outside linebacker from the Sacramento area, and he's the earliest recruit I can remember uh, committing to the Buffaloes. And it's an interesting story. His older brother, Nate, was committed to McIntyre and the staff at San Jose State. And actually, I should say he was getting recruited by McIntyre and and his staff at San Jose State during his senior year of high school. And it looked like he'd got a torn ACL in a game about four games into his senior year. And all the schools recruiting Nate, his older brother, backed off. San Jose State stayed on him. He finally gets into the doctor and he finds out it's not a torn ACL. It's just some swollen, it's a swollen knee. It's, he's going to be back in three or four weeks. The fact that San Jose State stayed on during that time showed the loyalty. So Nate stuck with San Jose State. He's their starting nose guard now. And his younger brother at the time, who's just kind of following along, watching his older brother get recruited, goes, these coaches really stood up for my older brother. It's not just lip service with them. The mom is, of course, in love with these coaches for giving their, you know, his older brother a chance. So that's why I think he committed early on in the process. A, a real good kid, a good student in the classroom. He actually hasn't visited Colorado yet. So that might make you a little nervous about his commitment, but he's going to come out and, and watch Colorado spring game. And unless we have some kind of blizzard or something, I would expect the kid to, to, to enjoy that trip and most likely stick with Colorado. But, it, hey, it's almost a year until he signs. So. Yeah, the spring game weather is usually pretty darn good. A couple of years ago there was a, a brief wind and lightning storm at the end of the spring game, but the day was beautiful. I mean, spring game is always a fun time to uh, visit Colorado. And, guys, our last subject here, we're on the subject of the 2015 class. Is there an in-state guy that you view as a must-get for this staff? Of course, the two top-ranked uh, defensive backs and maybe the two top-ranked prospects in the class, Avery Anderson and what is it, uh, Eric, Eric, Lee Eric Lee Jr., that's right. Um, for some reason, I was going to say Eric Cooper. He looks like an Eric Cooper to me. Um, are committed to Nebraska. And a third Colorado prospect from 2015 class visited Nebraska for the junior day with them, and that's Austin Conway. Uh, the electric athlete from Overland High School in Aurora. That's my must-get for this staff. He is the type of athlete that you need at Colorado. We talked earlier about getting that one guy that will always be the difference between you and a, and a school just lower than you. Austin Conway is a guy. Conway has been a fan of CU growing up his entire life. His dream is to get a CU basketball offer. It's not coming unless they miss out on everybody. It's not coming. Uh, football, he's obviously been offered. He likes the Buffs, but he was heavily influenced by that trip to Nebraska and the facilities specifically that the Huskers have. He's, he might even be considered Nebraska lean right now. Um, he is my must-get for this staff in state 2015. Uh, I was going to say Tim, why not? And the reason for me is that we need to do a better... The one position that Colorado has consistently churned out each and every year and that's had success at programs around the country is line. I mean, you see he's getting a lot of offers early. He got offered by Oregon last week at some point. So he's we're going to be competing with some big-name guys to get his signature. And we, the one thing that I think we need to see as far as improvement on these classes is we need to get more of the in-state guys to stick around Colorado. And obviously he's going to be a big portion, a uh, big part of that. And, uh, you know, I just, I just look to him to be the guy that we really need to go after, kind of kind of solidify the front lines. Yeah, I was actually going to agree on that. Um, I just think that, just like you said, uh, pretty consistent in Colorado coming through with offensive linemen and pretty consistently missing out on them at the University of Colorado. So they need to get those guys. Yeah, the, the pool of guys we're, we're discussing here is pretty small. Eric Lee Jr. already committed to Nebraska. His parents both went there. He lived in Lincoln for a while. He's not probably going to switch up on that commitment. Avery Anderson doesn't have an offer from Colorado, so I don't think he really would qualify for this uh, category right now. Um, Austin Conway is is a guy you you can put at multiple spots. He wants to be a quarterback, so Colorado is doing the smart thing in the recruiting game of telling him, you can come in and play that, and if you're great at that, course we'd love to have you a quarterback if you can't we'll put you somewhere else could be a receiver returner defensive back kind of kind of a, kind of like Don, Donovan Lee in a way in yeah. terms of his ability and size um, and T- Tim Lanott all of a sudden now Oregon's offered and I guarantee you that's not the end of the offers for him his coach Mark Nolan who was actually was a staffer up at CU before he became the head coach there told me this is one of those rare players that will be able to pick 
the area of the country, the conference, the school he wants to go to. But that said, he's got interest in CU. He has genuine interest. He really likes CU. So he's a guy that I can see being an official visit guy because he's going to have all these options. And th that's the type of recruit, if you show, continue to show progress on the field, could be a headliner for, for your class of 2015. Obviously, any of the guys we're talking about would be tremendous additions to this football program and this football team. It's going to be interesting to see how this staff does on the field and in the recruiting game next year. So, guys, great discussion today, breaking down the 2014 class and the signing day ceremonies and the pageantry that we experienced in Boulder. It's going to do it for us here on Buff Stampede Radio today, talking football. Make sure to keep an eye out in the next few days for our Buff Stampede uh, Radio basketball edition as well.